Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans Hi, I'm style. Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Business incubators offer a range of valuable services to entrepreneurs. If you're starting out in business or if you're at an early stage in development, an incubator can help you design your business plan, your, your strategy for growth, and, and all kinds of other guidance. They may even introduce you to investors. But like being admitted to a good college, getting accepted into an incubator can be competitive. And despite the best of intentions, the outcome of that competition is not always without bias or solely merit-based. That's why in 2009, an incubator and business accelerator calling itself Propeller started up here in New Orleans. Propeller is designed to help small businesses and nonprofits in the areas of community, economic development, food, water, health, and education. These areas, they say, have both significant inequities and proven market opportunities for local entrepreneurs to implement solutions. Andrea Chen is the executive director of Propeller. Andrea, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me, Peter. Nice to see you again. Andrea, you brought with you two winners of the 2019 Propeller Business Pitch Competition, Pitch NOLA. Uh, John Renthrope is the CEO and brewmaster at Cajun Fire Brewing. Cajun Fire Brewing is uh, one of the 6,500 craft beer breweries in the U.S. Uh, Andrea, you're snapping your fingers. That must mean this is a hip thing, so I'm really good. Of those 6,500 breweries, only 7 or 0.1% have African-American ownership. Cajun Fire Brewing is one of that very small number. John, welcome out to lunch. Oh, thank you for having me, Peter. Appreciate uh, it. A business called Mastodonte won two awards at Propeller's 2019 Pitch Nola competition. They won the Water Challenge for businesses involving water management, and they also won the Audience Favorite Award. Mastodonte is a stormwater management company and a construction company. They design and and install French drains, ponds, rain gardens, water features, rain barrels, and water retention systems. Arian Hall is the co-founder and co-owner of Mastodonte. Arian, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Andrea, you've had a lot of startup companies come through Propeller since you opened the doors in 2009. In that time, the entrepreneurial landscape in New Orleans has changed markedly. Along with it, presumably, Propeller has changed and you've changed. When you have a new company come through the doors of Propeller today, what do you want them to know that is different from the guidance you might have given them a decade ago? So we have changed our programming significantly since we first started, and I think the one of the big pieces that we really focus on uh, for this upcoming fall accelerator, we're about to launch, our, we're about to announce our class next week, is around um, contacts, contracts, capital, and community. 
And we focus on those four because entrepreneurs often have trouble accessing capital. And especially when we're working with entrepreneurs of color, we know there are so many biases around the financial institutions and systems. And so it's really important for us that we are making those connections at the same time that we're looking at the whole ecosystem. And one of the things that we've been working on is uh, the social venture fund where we have our own fund where we can invest in our own companies. And so that fund we launched um, two years ago and we have deployed um, over half a million um, in um, in debt capital and everyone's been current and all of our financing has gone to entrepreneurs of color. Well, you As have just one example. John, one of the things we hear about marketing to millennials and what is called Gen Z behind them is that the source of a product and the story behind it matters. I don't think many members of my generation cared about who was making Budweiser. I, I doubt they even had the vaguest idea that Schlitz was named after its owner, Joseph Schlitz, mm -hmm. but apparently that's different today. Are you finding that to be true in marketing Cajun Fire beer? And if so, how are you navigating the connection between the producer and the product? Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, content is everything. Uh, we, we try to make sure our story, our story is in time with uh, content uh, because, you know, everybody got a smartphone in their pocket now. And they want to eat up some information about what they're consuming, what they're buying, and particularly with beer, um, it's a lot of narratives, uh, particularly in my situation. I'm one of the few uh, African-American brewers in the nation, so that story uh, warrants getting out there, and a lot of people want to hear it. So... Um, just marketing to millennials, Gen Zs, baby boomers, whoever. Um, it's definitely an interest point. I think it, it guides uh, buying uh, preference for a product. And, you know, aside, that, aside from that, we just got to make our beer taste good. But right, it doesn't work if the beer yeah, doesn't taste good. Yeah, it don't work if the beer don't taste good. But at the first glance, the first look, the first um, just introduction, they want to know that story. And you've got product. two different kind of uh, introductions or affinities, right? You've got... Um, Louisiana, because I mm -hmm. noticed the, the flavors are kind of tied to that. And you have the fact that you're one of the only African-American-owned breweries. Uh, do you push them both? It's, 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 a, you know, it's a delicate balance. Um, Louisiana has such a rich culinary history. If you exclude that from your product, you're going to be missing out. Um, so we, we try to tie in a lot of those different cultures, mainly uh, Creole culture, Cajun culture, um, uh, elements of the black African diaspora, as well as the home Indian uh, culture. Uh, so there's a lot of different food ways, a lot of different traditions we can go from and bounce off. But most most importantly, it gives us a lot of range to balance our product uh, flavor profiles. You're going to need a bigger label. Yeah. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, more, or more beers. In <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Arian, if there's one thing New Orleans desperately needs is water management. Every time it rains for more than an hour, we worry about how bad it's it's going to flood. Over the last 15 years, we've seen massive flood protection projects in the city, including the installation of giant pumps at the lake and drain pipe laying projects that have taken years of torn up streets and disruption. And still, the Surgeon Water Board can't seem to keep flood water off the streets. With that in mind, it's worth remembering that our recovery from Katrina wasn't primarily fueled by federal or state projects. It was, by and large, the product of thousands of individuals working on one house, one street, and one neighborhood at a time. In that way, in your professional opinion, if we all individually do something about water management, can we take control of the city's water problems and prevent flooding? Oh, that's loaded. <laughs> so, in a sense, we can definitely help our situation if homeowners and business owners are taking into account 
um, heavy rain events and things like that, and they're building infrastructure to deal with these type of flood events, then we can definitely mitigate some of what we're dealing with. But the long-term solution is not just New Orleans doing stormwater management. We're dealing with global sea level rise. We're dealing with subsidence. We're dealing with horrible issues with our water quality from things that are happening in other parts of the country. Um, so yes, us doing what we need to do as New Orleanians is going to be very, very vital to us, but we're also going to be needing to look at larger solutions uh, in total. And can you convince people that, um, you know, what I'm doing with my house, it may not be, it may be small in the big picture, but that uh, it's the right thing to do. And, and, and of course, one of the things is you make them look great. It's not like you're <laughs> sacrificing anything. You know, I find that a lot of Gen X and millennials are really trying to do the right thing when it comes to not only being homeowners, being good citizens and part of their community, but they want to do the right thing for their environment and for New Orleans. So you find even though people might not have a lot of money, they still will invest in something like that um, or even try to find enough knowledge or information on their own that they can DIY or have some members in, in their community or in their neighborhood to help them to do these kind of projects that can assist with flooding. John, um, mm -hmm. you know, you were talking about you've, you've got plans to build a pretty good-sized facility out in, out in New Orleans East, uh, not too far from the interstate. Um, it hasn't been easy, right? Uh, the, uh, you know, we, let's see, I guess we're getting into a, a difficult subject, but uh, for years, we talked about redlining, uh, not getting loans in uh, minority communities and things like that on the residential side. But you, you saw it on the commercial side, which we really don't have a tendency to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, what? How tough was it? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. You know, conversations are sacred. Um, commercial development. Uh, I didn't have a background in, in real estate development, uh, so when I dove into it, um, I had to pretty much learn and be a sponge of all the different resources that was available, all the lack of resources, and uh, just getting a lot from the deplorable positions that we got it in. I mean, it hadn't been touched since, uh, really since the, the infrastructure for the East was, was carved out. Uh, so when we got the land, you know, we got it for a pretty good deal. We was able to uh, negotiate that. That was a process, um, followed by actually getting it um, commercial, like up to grade. Uh, so we're, we're just finishing off that. We had to get it up to grade. We had to clear off a lot of different blighted materials that was left behind. Um, you know, we survived just about every stress test in that process. Even even with uh, even with the uh, tornado that that EF3 tornado that touched down in February in 2017, it didn't directly hit us. But the um, the construction and contracting companies we were sourcing got you know. It got damaged. If Katrina uh, wasn't enough, you're right, right. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we've we've you know persevered through that, and now we're well on our way to actually break ground on that property. It's actually dubbed the New Orleans East Culture Hub, um, with Cajun Fire being the anchor business to that. And ultimately, the goal is to uh, create more job security in that area, um, increase food and beverage tourism, uh, and you know, just just actually create something that people in the area can actually go to and, and champion behind. And Aaron, see somebody approaches you and they want they've got uh, maybe they're moving into a new home and they'd like to do something in this area uh, they want it to look great and they want it to uh, it, uh, be a lot better than it is now for water management what do you you sit down with them what do you do uh, well we start by coming up with a water plan first things first so we assess a lot of different fact, site factors um, first of all whether you're dealing with residential commercial what structures you have on the property where you have gutters and um, water coming down in a mass con concentration very, very fast, you know, if you have downspouts and things like that. 
uh, where your catch basins are on the street, what the elevations of your property are, um, whether your house is on grade on slab or whether it's raised. Uh, there's a lot of different factors that we have to take into account. And then from there, we start calculating how much rainfall is actually coming off of the building, what directions and with how much force. And that tells us how, how big we need to build our water retention systems. And so some things that are tied to the home itself and others are uh, the neighborhood and the, the height of the street and, and all that. And then when, it's, when you do present it, um, what are some of the things you present? You mentioned, uh, what was it, uh, uh, French drains? Yeah, so French drains are uh, these type of alley. Well, of course we know houses in New Orleans are all right on top of each other. So systems that are really easy to install that can give you some um, conveyance to the street but also give you some water storage in, in your tiny little alleyway on your property is a French drain. And it essentially is a trench that goes around your house and it's lined with a geotextile infilled mm. with a, uh, well, a perf perforated pipe is put in there to create some extra void space and then it's infilled with a with a large limestone gravel. And then at the end is, is landscaping part of the package? Yeah of course but you can also do hardscapes as well I mean we do all sorts of like walk paths where we set pavers and things and plant grasses around them but also there's pervious concrete some people go back with that and then other people like their plants so they might just you know they might have a rain garden in their front yard or in their backyard that they put in with some native plants like Aaron, irises and cypress trees. How'd you learn this all? I've always been into plants and things ever since I was very young. My mother and I used to grow vegetables and um, plants in our garden like every every summer and as I got older and finished up school I was rebuilding after Katrina because I saw the need there and also it helped to pay off some of my student loans <laughs> um, and so we actually had this property where uh, we had redone the floors several times and every time they had a decent rain event this house would flood and we'd have to go fix the floors and so uh, me, my partner, and um, another friend of ours from AmeriCorps, got, he started telling us about this French drain. French drain. I'm like, what is that? Kind of a day or something, you know? Word <laughs> 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 has never been used on this show, but let's go. <laughs> and so then he's like, no, it's essentially a trench, you know, that we can dig around the house. And it was very DIY. We, none of us had ever done anything like that before. And we took the concrete that we broke up and used that as our infill for our trench. <laughs> and it was a volunteer-run project, but we were onto something because we didn't have that problem with that house anymore during normalized rain events. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Arian Hall from water management company Mastodonte, John Renthrope from Cajun Fire Brewery, and Andrea Chen from socially conscious business incubator Propeller. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Arian Hall from water management company Mastodonte, John Renthrope from Cajun Fire Brewery, and Andrea Chen from socially conscious business incubator Propeller. Andrea, these, of course, you, every time you bring wonderful people to us, I, I've got to ask is, um, do you get now more applicants than you have space for? So what we know is that demand for our programming and our competitions, our co-working space, the Social Venture Fund, has continued to grow over the years. A lot of our new programming has been a, as a result of many of the things that people have asked us for. So going back to the Social Venture Fund, one of the biggest complaints that we got from our entrepreneurs starting out is, it's really hard to get capital as a startup. It is really hard. It is, you know, we don't have three years of financials. We don't have, um, we don't have all of this collaboration 
collateral. We don't have real estate backing us, all of these different things. And so we decided to launch this um, the social venture fund for that reason. That was one um, thing that came directly from the from our entrepreneurs. Another big piece, you asked me earlier about how our programming has changed over the years, has also been these industry focus areas. Because when we started, it was, if you considered yourself a, a social entrepreneur and had some kind of environmental or social impact, great, you can apply to pitch NOLA. And one of the things that also we heard from our entrepreneurs was, well, it's a lot more helpful if you had industry expertise. And so now we have accelerator programs ded dedicated to each sector, you know, pitch competitions dedicated to each, each sector. And so those are examples of uh, being responsive to the entrepreneurs and what they are telling us they want us to do next. And uh, are you a judge in these competitions? Never. No, really? Never. I say, what is it about <laughs> these two folks that you think brought them to the top? I, let's see, first of all, I guess they fit in your categories. Uh, John, uh, I guess technically beer is food. A lot of college students tell me this. And, uh, and, uh, and Aaron, a lot of you're, history books, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in water. So they, they made the category part, but what else are they looking for? So the judges look at three things. The first is financial sustainability. So do you have, have you demonstrated to the judges that you have a plan for making money? And do you have any, some evidence to show that you have customers? So that's number one. Uh, and I think, and I know that both Arian and John had demonstrated that really, really strongly to the judges uh, with your financial models, your pitch decks, all of that. So that's the second piece is um, is entrepreneurial leadership and organizational, um, and yeah, entrepreneurial leadership. So both of your backgrounds and it's a track record of success around um, all the momentum and the wins that you both have had along the way. And then the first is the impact on the community. And so um, for Aaron, it was around the impact around water. And then for food, it was also around growing the local food economy for John. So those were the three areas. Now, Aaron and John, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You're making the most of your valuable time at your desk to catch up on email when your phone rings and it's your brother-in-law. He usually only calls when he's thinking you might want to join him for getting a pedicure, but this time it's different. This time he's got a business proposition for you and you're both allowed to consult with Andrea on this question if you'd like. This is great, we've never had this part. They, uh, <laughs> uh, this is like phone a friend, but she's a really smart friend, this is great. John, your brother-in-law says, did you know that the, one of the biggest tourist attractions in Louisiana is the Bayou Rum Distillery near Lake Charles? That wasn't the intention when they built it, but it happens to be right off the interstate and people just started coming to take the tour. Uh, gradually, Bayou Rum has taken advantage of the tourist traffic, most recently adding a cafe. Your brother-in-law says that Cajun Fire's location right on the I-10 outside of New Orleans could be even a bigger deal. And if you build it with that in mind, you could make enough revenue out of tourism to fund the construction. Your brother-in-law is prepared to quit his job to become VP of Tourism Development at Cajun Fire. What do you tell him? Is, is he on to something? I would, I would ask him if he must have been reading the business plan. Oh, <laughs> you know? all right. You might have a copy. I don't know. You might uh, no, sound like you're reading no, directly no. off it. Um, but I'll tell him he's on the money. Um, you know, we were right off the I-10 service road. Um, we just did a traffic index study, and I can reiterate this real fresh. It's 120,000 user traffic per day, not even on a holiday. Uh, so, you know, the visibility is there and people are looking for food and beverage tourism, so they're going to stop by or even, you know, we're, we're right next to uh, four different chains of hotels. 
um, two large commercial. That's when you drink uh, a lot and you have yeah, to actually get a hotel. Well, That's, two large commercial uh, dealerships too. So you know, it's the summer. Everybody's getting the AC fixed, uh, waiting in the lobby, and they definitely just don't want to sit there and eat donuts all day. So we're, our brewery is positioned in a good position. So. I would, I would definitely ask for <laughs> any kind of marketing services. What do you think, Andrea? That uh, sounds good to me. I believe so. so. That's so, why I'm over here grinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, your bro- I'd watch out for your brother-in-law. Apparently I'll he's going out. through your garbage and things like that, looking <laughs> yeah. for information. He's hired. He's hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Aaron, your brother-in-law says every company in America wants to be associated in some sort of socially responsible undertaking these days. Most of them don't know how to do it or what to do. And he's got a genius win-win idea for Master Dante that, that's terrific. It's selling sponsorships of rain barrels. Think about it. It's a win-win-win all the way around. You sell the rights, for example, to Chevron to put their name on your rain barrels. And because of their subsidy, you're able to lower the price of the rain barrel. Therefore, you get to sell more of them. If Chevron puts enough money into this, you could even give the barrels away. Chevron gets to be a good corporate citizen. You make the same money on every barrel. You're selling thousands more than you would have, and you get to save New Orleans from flooding. What about it? Is your brother-in-law and his naming rights on rain barrels a genius idea or what? It could be a good idea. It just may not be one that's within our business model because we're kind of going more towards uh, renewable fuel and um, finding ways to do the construction that we do in even more green and more ecologically sustainable ways. So right now we're just, and also we want to develop like some green roof materials and things like that. But right now we're just really trying to hone what is the most ethical way to do the work that we do. And John, uh, we've had a, a couple of brewing folks in, and I know it, there's some complication in here that, uh, for instance, you're brewing right now, you're brewing out of, uh, I guess, the D.C. area, and then until this facility be done, I guess, summer of 2020 or so, something like uh, that? Probably probably later fall, maybe November 2020. Okay. Yeah. But you, in this state, you have to deal with um, an independent distributor, right, in, mm-hmm. in your beer, and I guess they probably have a minimum of how much you need to be producing to get them interested in doing it. What, right. um, what do you do about that? You just, I mean, you just, you just got to be as authentic as possible. I know in our situation um, to stand out in their portfolio, they have a pre-existing for- portfolio, both distribution companies that's uh, featured in Louisiana. Uh, so you got to make it work, worth their time and make it uh, valuable to their customer base. Um, but that's not a problem. I mean, you know, um, we're one of 13 states that have, that you got to go through three-tier system um, but at the end of the day, um, you want some, some kind of regulation to be there when you're dealing with alcohol. So, you know, it's a necessary um, product that you have to, you know, utilize. And so where do, where do your sales, do you picture yourself kind of going door-to-door to bars? Um, face-to-face is the best kind of uh, salesmanship we can do. Like, guerrilla marketing is great, but uh, really we take advantage of the festival market. You know, with the festival capital of the world. Um, there's non-stop itinerary of things to get into, events to sponsor, philanthropies, uh, even charitable organizations. So we, we try to pride ourselves on matching up uh, festivals that match our mission in the line. Now John, hopefully you have somebody else helping you with this because you'll be dead. Look, you just, I mean, the, the, the best thing I can say is uh, we just try to make sure we, we latch on to like a lot of inaugural uh, organizations. Um, we feel like they can, they can gain the most from us being a sponsor. Uh, but more importantly, um, you get to share your product with a lot of different 
people from all walks of life. Like, it's, it's amazing. Um, just the nature of fellowship that you can get with beer. I can talk about it all day, but <laughs> it, you, you really meet a lot of different people. And New Orleans being an international city, it's, um, you never know who you're going to be pouring up a pint for. So. And maybe they take that idea, tell people back in their home country? Oh, they do. They do. Um, we get emails all the time. Uh, I actually had to, I'm learning, I'm learning very slowly as we kind of scale up just to how to, how to um, address customer service. Because, you know, you got all kind of different social media access points now. Um, and if you don't answer, it's a customer service problem. So we're trying to, our best to, to address all the interests um, up until we release in Orleans Parish. Andrea, you've got shared working space over there. Um, how does that work? I mean, do, you, do, do pe- pe- people have a certain room that's theirs for the entire uh, mentorship or do they have to move around? How does it work? So the reason we started the space, which is on the corner of Washington and Broad, is because in our first accelerator programs, our entrepreneurs were telling us they were having a really hard time getting affordable office space. And we were trying to run our programming, and it was really hard to get downtown. Parking was really expensive. It was just, it was a mess. So we said, okay, well, let's figure out a way that we can have our entrepreneurs work out of the space, uh, a space for free and have free office space while they're in the accelerator program. So that was the genesis of the co-working space. And since then, it has built up over time. And so when you're in the accelerator, you do have free co-working space. And then there are people who want to pay for a space. Maybe they want a full office. Maybe they want to have a desk. And so many of our alumni, once they graduate out of the program, they end up getting um, they, they might want to rent a desk for a couple months, or maybe they grow and they grow out of this space. And so um, there are a lot of different levels. You could, uh, you could rent this space for an event. You can rent this space. You can rent an office, a private office, or a desk, or do co-working. Which kind of brings me to the point, where do you mm-hmm. get your money? So the space is actually, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an earned revenue model, okay. and so people pay. And so that subsidizes our entrepreneurs to be in the, excel- when they're in the accelerator program, to work out of a space for free. Now, the nonprofit side of it is, um, is through uh, donations, so national foundations and, um, and other donors. Over the past decade, Propeller has proven that you really can have a socially responsible attitude towards entrepreneurship and make money. It's a great lesson for all of us that business and social responsibility are not opposites and that profit and progress are not mutually exclusive. Andrea, thanks for everything you and the folks at Propeller are doing for the city and for all of us who live here and benefit from your hard work and passion. And Arian and John, it has been a pleasure to meet you both. I look forward to keeping up with you and wish you continued success. Andrea, Arian, and John, thank you all for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter, and a big thank you to all of our entrepreneurs because they're the ones who are, it's the hard work making it happen. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Andrea Chen, Executive Director of Propeller, John Renthrope, CEO and brewmaster at Cajun Fire Brewing, and Arian Hall, the co-founder and co-owner of Mastodonte. You can find out more about Propeller, Cajun Fire Brewing, and Mastodonte by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Thomas Walsh. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify and at itsneworleans.com. 
If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on It's New Orleans Facebook page and at It's New Orleans on Instagram. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 